0: From that dire deluge, through the watery waste, such length of years, such various perils past, to beg what you without your want may spare, the common water and the common air, sheds which ourselves will build and mean abodes, fit to receive and serve our banished gods. Nor our admission shall your realm disgrace, nor length of time our gratitude efface. Besides, what endless honor you shall gain, to save and shelter Troy's unhappy train. The people of Troy to Latinus, seeking refuge from war in their homeland, from Virgil's The Aeneid.
1: This is Crossings, the refugee experience in America, a podcast. Welcome to Crossings, the Refugee Experience in America podcast. I'm your host, producer, Vince Hostak. Such various perils passed, at last escaped. To beg what you without your want may spare. Sheds which ourselves will build. And what endless honor you shall gain to save and shelter Troy's unhappy train. These are the pleas and calls of refugees, ringing true as if they were written today. They were written between 29 and 19 B.C. The goal of this podcast is to improve our listeners' understanding of the refugee experience in America and across the English-speaking world. Our hope is to increase our cultural competence, our two-way street if you will as we interact with the newcomers to our community, and they meet us. The work of refugee resettlement is complex. It spans across government agencies, NGOs, advocacy organizations, includes the work of public officials and businesses, all of which engage individual Americans who often apply innovative, creative practices and programs to help integrate newcomers to our society at large which makes this also the experience of all Americans. There is much to cover on the podcast in the coming weeks and months. The very definitions of a refugee and an asylee, and how these legal statuses apply to forcibly displaced communities. America's long history of welcoming refugees. Then there is the changing landscape of public policy in the U.S., now dramatically impacting refugee resettlement and integration into our American communities. But above all, we'll introduce our listeners to Americans, both born in the U.S. and foreign-born, who have applied creative thinking to provide essential and life-changing service to and for refugees, leading-edge thinkers in American society and culture. And this is precisely where we land for our pilot episode. The story of We Made This. We Made This is an innovative program operating out of the African Community Center. The program performs the complex tasks of providing job training and life skills for refugees in Colorado, all while supporting their psychosocial integration. We'll have a conversation with Hannah McMillan, the program lead of We Made This, which teaches sewing, and so much more. We'll hear also directly from four artisans in the program, refugees to the United States from Burma, Afghanistan, and Congo, all speak to the additional impacts the program has had on their lives beyond the direct skills of sewing. We're here in the second floor offices of the African Community Center in the Washington, Virginia, Vale neighborhood of Denver. Inside we find a welcoming reception space for guests and nearby a workshop and training space for We Made This. It has the aura of a busy commons populated by staff and refugee artisans. We join Hannah McMillan in a small shared office at the far end of the workshop where our crew has dropped anchor and set up our recording equipment. So, Hannah, first of all, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. You know, this is our pilot. This is our very first podcast. I'm
0: very excited to be here.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks again for being here. Why don't you tell our listeners what We Made This is? and the objective of the project.
0: We made this is a refugee women's sewing training program through the African Community Center, which as you mentioned, is a refugee resettlement agency. Um, It was established uh, over 10 years ago in order to provide um, refugee women who have limited access to community development and integration with uh, the ability to participate in a holistic community that supports them in their integration and journey into establishing new lives in America. Um, It does that primarily by providing a sewing training program that focuses on job skills, um, hard and soft, uh, but also incorporates a lot of art therapy and English as a second language, financial literacy, civics various other competencies um, across a variety of cultures so that women establish connections with people they might not have met otherwise.
1: Who thought this up?
0: I think it was the brainchild of a master's of social work at the University of Denver um, back in 2009. So uh, it was a very small pilot project that was a little bit more like, uh, you know, Mennonite sewing circle uh, in its nascent stages. But since 2011, it's been under the umbrella of the ACC and has had a lot more resources poured into it from our Um, network offices around the country, and we're sort of the poster child for women's integration uh, at the Ethiopian Community Development Council, which is our mothership in Arlington.
1: So how long has we made this been operating?
0: Uh, About 10 years. I would say we've kind of been banging on all cylinders just for eight Um, We've been morphing a lot in that time, and uh, the program kind of responds to the needs of the community, shifts in the political landscape, and then, of course, as there's different leadership, um, people bring different skills and abilities to running the program. Um, So some of my predecessors have uh, developed it into what it is in terms of the sewing curriculum and the technical projects that the women work on. Um, Others have been social workers and have improved the uh, psychosocial components. My direct predecessor uh, was a technical sewer who had worked for a lot of um, Colorado-based apparel companies and she really honed our ability to do production sewing and place women who graduate from the program into the apparel industry locally. And then my background is in refugee resettlement and English as a second language, so I came on to do more curriculum development, and I've kind of kept the trajectory going as uh, the political climate has shifted, and there's been more upheaval in terms of refugee arrivals.
1: So you've, you've actually had graduates of this program move into the commercial sewing and fabrication industry.
0: Yes, yes, we have.
1: Knowing that it's an objective of our podcast to highlight the subject of gaining cultural competence, which I think is two ways, Mm -hmm. right? It's, It's the individuals that will interact with refugees in their community and the refugees themselves. Is there special training required of the volunteers? No,
0: there's nothing in particular aside from just coming to the ACC and learning a little bit more about our structure, as well as, of course, packing, passing a background check for the sake yeah. of the women you'll work with. But I think um, what makes our, our volunteer cohort so strong is that they come from a variety of backgrounds and political affiliations and careers um, and all have are, are united in their compassion for the newcomer. And um, there are a lot of different ways that people can become involved in the life of a refugee including, as you say, mentorship, and um, ACC has something called the First Friends Project that pairs um, individuals or families with individuals or families from a comparable age or or, um, culture background, not culture but, uh, you know, microculture, um, so that they can uh, work together uh, on establishing uh, a real strong uh, grounding for the new family that's arrived. Um, And I like that you bring up cultural competency going both ways, because that's uh, something that we've been trying to emphasize at ECC recently, not just cultural competency, but also Mm -hmm. cultural humility, which is um, approaching these kinds of relationships from a place of constant learning rather than of mastery. You'll never really be competent in someone else's culture, but you can um, develop the skills that will allow you to really engage with them uh, in a very empathetic manner and transfer that into other relationships and aspects of your life.
1: Do you prefer a craftsperson or artisan when you're speaking of your students and your graduates?
0: Uh, We use artisan as a term uh, because it is a little bit more familiar to them uh, from the craft they may have engaged with in their home countries. We like to think of them as artisans who bring the skills um, that they've also mastered uh, at home and then uh, achieve mastery of at least the subject matter that we we teach here um, throughout their time with us. And so the the format of the class uh, tends to be that women will enroll for a 12-week session um, at the beginner level. Um, They graduate and they receive a sewing machine to keep, uh, and then they can continue to make our products uh, here in the studio or at home, um, and we sell them to provide them with a supplemental income. Um, They can choose to continue for a further 12 weeks at the intermediate level, and that's where they learn a lot more of the technical production sewing that they would need to use if they got a full-time job in the apparel industry. And when they graduate from that level, we refer to them as artisans, whether they continue to work for us, assistant teach, uh, go into jobs, um, that's just a good way for us to acknowledge the work they've done.
1: How many artists since then have you trained and graduated to date?
0: That's a great question. Uh, we have some folks who've come over and over, and some folks we have a, an attrition rate that's due to uh, the high housing prices here in Denver. Um, a lot of them may be priced out a move uh, before they've completed the course, but still have um, attained a lot of the skills uh, and then we see people come back after they've moved to Indiana and they come back to join us. And so I think my, my approximate number is over 180 um, over the life of the program, probably more than that. Um, and certainly more have enrolled um, for at least a significant amount of time.
1: Have you always had a boutique or was that developed over time in order to... Uh Uh, Sell the product.
0: Yeah, that's new for us. Uh, We just opened that this June um, and we're uh, piloting it, I guess you could say, to see if it gets the foot traffic that we were hoping in that neighborhood. That neighborhood that we've established the boutique in uh, is real refugee uh, strong. A lot of the local cultural groups have. big housing complexes that they live in there. And so uh, we're gonna provide potentially classes and we do do a lot of production there with refugee artisans. Um, So it's convenient for that. It's a little less convenient perhaps for Denver based shoppers as it's in another city, um, east of Denver. But uh, so far it's been a really great way to get our name out and to have a brick and mortar that people can visit instead of just hoping to catch us at a market by following our social media. (laughs)
1: We Made This Boutique is housed in Mango House at the corner of Galena and East Colfax, where we're now standing. Colfax Avenue originates in the foothills in Golden, Colorado, and cuts across central Denver. It is considered the longest commercial street in the United States. It has a storied history, a thoroughfare during the gold rush, a ski vacationer's highway, it is even referenced in Jack Kerouac's On the Road. It's where the western edge of Aurora borders Denver. Aurora is Colorado's third largest city. According to the most recent U.S. Census data, nearly 20% of the city's estimated 381,000 persons are foreign-born It should be no surprise that it is the primary destination for statewide refugee arrivals. Mango House, a safe shared space for refugees and asylees, houses social service organizations, medical and dental clinics, a tailor, the East Colfax Youth Center, boutiques, and food counters serving Syrian, Somalian, Nepalese, Burmese, and Malaysian dishes to the public at large. And it's where we find the storefront for We Made This.
0: So we're about to walk into the We Made This boutique, which is in a mall setup called Mango House. Um, so if you'll follow me in, will give you a little tour. Um, we've got a couple of our seamstresses and sumpsters that work on a production order that we're doing. We do special orders construction here, as well as selling the things that our students make in class. So if you look around, we've got a lot of shelves of the products they've made in the beginner and intermediate classes, including a lot of home goods and accessories, lots of purses and pot holders, and you see some traditional African clothes that are made by Monsieur Le Coube out of his um, kente cloth from West Africa. Um, Got a lot of beaded necklaces from paper beads we get from Uganda. Some kind of special collections made of fabric that we had um, ordered for our participation in Comic Con. Uh, Got a lot of photos on the walls, professionally taken of our graduates in their traditional dress, um, and some busy workers.
1: We are introduced to Lukube, a master semster, working at a station in the boutique. Even with his many years of experience, he has also benefited from graduation from the program. We are assisted by an interpreter skilled in Swahili. So I understand that there's a graduation in this program. Have you graduated from this program? (laughs) In Aonekana Kwamba, Kwai
2: Program Mumbai Yakushona, Kurikuana Graduation Amamurifanya, Shere Yakumariza, Kazien Amamasoma Yakushona.
1: Did you enjoy graduation? Was there anything special about it for you? Wakati kuna
2: Would you like to tell me more about that? Kama inawezekana kama unajihisi vizuri unajihisi sawa, unaweza ambacho nilipata cheti, na nikapata ya So, I enjoyed to have the certificate after graduating, and after that, they gave me uh, a gift of machine. Can you tell me
1: what you're working on today?
2: Unawezu katuambia ni kitu gani leo kwa sasa ukiwa hapa? Kitu gana mbacho unapofanya sahihi? Hapa niko nashona kanzu na... So for now, just I'm making the dress, and uh, another thing that uh, he doesn't mention where, well, but it's called aprons. Aprons.
1: Do you find what you're working on easy or difficult? I don't know. So
2: many people are doing it, but they don't have the
1: right
2: it looks very hard but because of his experience in 50 years making the dress making the jackets, making every kind of different um,
1: clothes it becomes easy for him both the staff and the refugee artisans we interviewed like Lakube spoke glowingly of the graduation experience from We Made This here again is Hannah McMillan.
0: Graduation is the best.
1: So it must be a, a, a very special event for the artisans and, mm-hmm. and the staff. I can, I can see you smiling. I, I, I can see that this is a big benefit for you and the staff here. Can you share some or one of your favorite stories leading up to graduation?
0: Sure, yeah. It's the best day of the quarter. We, we're lucky enough to do it four times a year. Um, and it's, uh, just to give you a visual, we transform our sewing studio into just a very cute um almost looks like a restaurant because we'll cover all of the tables with little floral plastic tablecloths and decorate with bunting and we print very nice um, formal certificates for all the graduates and assemble um, gifts for them to take home in addition to the sewing machines they'll get all of the notions and scissors and fabric they might need to make some projects at home. We've got all those ready for them and then um, all of the graduates and some of the staff will bring food from their cultures and we have a big potluck lunch Um, and I think That also encourages a lot of people who maybe were thinking about joining the class or thinking about volunteering, Um, you know, we will say, come join us for lunch and meet some of our graduates. And then, you know, the room is full and there's a lot of celebration and a lot of laughter and clapping and photography and um, I think they feel really, really proud of their accomplishment because a lot of them maybe never had any formal education and might be pre-literate and might never have held a job and so it's, um, you know, very clear uh, from the way that they respond when we call their name and they process up and get their certificate and their gift that it's a really significant moment for them. Um, And some of my favorite stories are always, you know, when maybe a, a woman, it happens frequently, um, Will have been what we refer to as a low integrator, so um, having a harder time, um, kind of hitting the milestones um, toward integration, including English acquisition and um, job skills, uh, in the past, due to probably a disability or being a little elderly or maybe having childcare obligations. To see those women achieve it um, is really just very striking. You know, there's tears and it's all. It's very, it's very meaningful. Um, I think most recently the the class, uh, not the summer class, but the spring class graduated in May and we couldn't time the graduation to avoid the Ramadan fast. So it ended up happening in the first week of Ramadan. So about half of our graduates weren't going to eat with us because they were keeping the fast uh, and they brought food anyway. They brought more food than we've ever had um, just plates and plates and trays and trays of you know baklava and shawarma and pilaf and all of these incredible things and they served everyone and they were so delighted to talk about the flavor profiles and traditional Mm -hmm. ways to make everything even though they were probably starving and i just felt that that was such a nice way to honor the experience they'd had and the other classmates that had gone through it with them that they didn't opt out or not attend just because they were fasting so
1: back in the workshop at acc we speak with two artisans about the advantages the program has provided. We meet Pei, from Burma, and Swita, originally from Afghanistan. They're not shy about the opportunities they've had to learn and develop their craft, the friends they've made, and how their spoken English has improved through their participation.
3: My name is Pei, and I'm from Burma.
1: So. You're still a student here, or have you graduated?
3: I graduated, and right now I attended a media class.
1: Can you tell me how this program has helped you?
3: Yeah, a lot. Like, I like to sew it, like, make it close, especially in my country. We sew it clothes a lot. That's when I come here to learn how to sew it. So, right now, I know how to sew a little bit. Like, something like I need to do at home, like to sew it from my son or my husband. And right now, I can do by myself. I don't have to ask somebody or to do for me, and I don't need to pay. Have
1: you made new friends here? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, outside of the work that you do in this program, uh, for we made this and uh, having your your materials and your products over at the boutique, have you brought this into your daily life? Are you are you using sewing in your daily life?
3: No, daily life, but just sometimes like if I need to, mm-hmm. like in my family, if they need me to, I just help with that, or from myself too.
1: And did you learn most of those skills here, or did you already know how to sew?
3: No, yeah, I learned it here. I never learned it before in my country, I just learned it here.
1: you have a favorite project, something that you've created and, uh, and put in the boutique?
3: Um, I think it's t t-shirt. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the one that I make, yeah. And I also can make from my family too, that's one.
1: Have you had, the way I would say this, any unexpected learnings being in this program? Did you learn other things than how to sew?
3: Yeah, here they teach us a lot, like to make a makeup bag or t-shirt or pen, something like that. But for me, I learned this, but... If I, I want to learn another thing, I can check on our YouTube and I, yeah, just, yeah, learn how to sew And I create my own too. Like make a dress or pass by my own too. Like decide by my side, like small side or big side. Yeah, just like that. I,
1: I want to thank you, Pay, hey, Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. you yeah. <laughs>
3: welcome. Yes,
4: my name is Vita. I'm from Afghanistan. I have been in the U.S. for four years. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm.
1: So I understand from Hannah, you're a graduate of the program, and you're actually working here now?
4: Yes, I graduated on um, 2015, and then I started uh, working as a volunteer here, and on 2017, I worked as a teacher.
1: Can you tell me how this program has benefited you?
4: Yes, this program is uh, very helpful for uh, women. They are refugees. And this program makes ready women for future to find a job because most women like to have an easy job like sewing. It is a very interesting job for women and they can do at home and out in the, some companies. It um, is interesting and very helpful program, yeah. Most women likes to uh, learn how to sew, how to use a machine, and also they like to be here to learn English too. Uh, also me, I uh, start uh, speaking and learning English from we made this, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So when you were a student, did yeah. you have a favorite project? Uh, and and something that you sold at the we made this boutique.
4: Yes, my favorite project are uh, tuber runner and placemat and tote Bike. and I saw a lot and yeah and they sold already in the boutique and I want to saw more for the new years and Thanksgiving <laughs> for for holidays yeah because people likes to buy and it is. Uh, Good uh, project I like it to do always. I have free time. I sewing table runner placement tote bike for boutique.
1: You reminded me that I need a new table runner. Oh, I'll <laughs> yeah, have to go to I the will, boutique.
4: I you sewing one beautiful for you? <laughs>
1: So you learned to sew, and in your particular case, you've, you've gone even further and you learned to teach. Are there other benefits directly to you from this program other than learning to sew?
4: The other benefit is speaking in English. It's very important for all refugees because they think we have trouble with the language. And now i able to speak in English. I can solve my problem. It is the most important benefit. And others, the sewing and teaching and like to be in, uh, in the touch with the others people. And uh, for me and for others, ladies, I meet them here. This program does, uh, makes them very brave and makes them ready for future because they uh, like to go out and they have to have a job. And this program makes them ready they are coming brave how to speak in English, how to go out of home, how to use the bus, how to work in company, how to talk with the manager and uh, caseworker. It is very important, yeah. I learned many things from this program. And before, I was so shy. I <laughs> I'm busy to talk with the people. But now I'm not shy. I'm able to talk with the people. Even I go to the doctor i able to speak, and I say, what is my problem? And it is the most important thing. People start speaking in English in this class. And we are encouraging them, please talk, don't be silent. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Swita, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us.
4: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: The producers note that the African Community Center is a refugee resettlement agency authorized by the State Department. Their programs include supporting resettlement, integration, and employment services. We also know that dramatic changes to U.S. public policy in recent months impact these very programs for resettlement agencies across the United States. We asked what listeners can do to support programs like We Made This directly
0: Sure thank you um you definitely can sponsor a student directly. Uh, that's a model that we've found works really well. Uh, if you're local, we'd also invite you to meet with that student and join her at graduation and uh, be a little more involved in her process. Um, if not, we've got other ways to thank you and keep you involved. Uh, but the way that we've uh, found to do that successfully is to have people sponsor us through our website, which is we made this.com. Uh It costs about $1,000 to sponsor a student fully, uh, including all of the resources and the graduation materials and the social machine she'll receive. But we've also cobbled together sponsorships from smaller donations, uh, and that's, you know, equally tenable and very much appreciated. Um, In addition to monetary, we also take in kind donations and, of course, donations of volunteer time, which can look really different because we have diverse needs, including accounting and organizing and Uh, in-class assistance with both ESL and civics and the sewing components. Um, We need people at the boutique. You know, there's a lot of advocacy opportunities. So if you're interested at all, um, there's a lot of ways to get involved and you can contact us through our website, wemadethis.com, and we can plug you in.
1: We also asked what efforts our listeners might contribute independently to advocate support regarding refugee resettlement in the United States.
0: This has been a pretty trying time for those of us who have worked for a while in the resettlement uh, world because uh, the issue of refugee resettlement has become politicized in a way that it hadn't been before and so it's it's uh, been difficult to really advocate for the people who are most uh, in need and are most on the margins uh, in a way that is really universal and I think That's probably most evident in the most recent presidential determination that came out last week, which lowered the ceiling of refugee admissions we expect in the fiscal year 2020 to 18,000, down from 110,000 under Obama. It's uh, a pretty drastic cut, even from uh, the time under Reagan, which was when the Uh, refugee resettlement program was established or in the 80s at any rate. Uh, So this is really a historic low and it's going to be very difficult for a lot of the resettlement agencies around the country to stay open, um, which will be pretty tragic if uh, when political winds shift again, we start resettling refugees once more. It'll be easy to just kind of, you know, turn the tap and let people back into the country, um, but it will be really difficult to cobble together the support network uh, that refugee resettlement agencies have historically provided since It's not just a matter of hiring staff, it's a matter of building relationships with employers and landlords and doctors and people who want to be first friends um, and welcome people across the board. So I think it's really important that we keep um, kind of the dream alive of making America a really welcoming refuge um, for people who are fleeing persecution and war. And um, though the number has already been set, the determination is out, uh, Congress continues to debate and will vote about how much money to allocate and uh, what kinds of priorities to see going into the coming fiscal year um, in terms of national security and what we're able to provide um, as a country. So it's a good time to call your representatives if you care about refugee resettlement and feel that um, the diversity that immigration brings to our country is something that is an American value. Um, The people that are fearful of immigration are very vocal about it, but the people who really support it, I think, are less vocal. Um, And it's not a given anymore that we'll continue to be a country that welcomes immigrants and refugees. So I encourage you to uh, reach out to your representatives.
1: Crossings: The Refugee Experience in America is hosted at Anchor. Our podcast, including our blog, archive, and future episodes can be found at anchor.fm forward slash crossingsrefugees, no spaces. We're new, so please be patient with us. We expect to publish two episodes per month in our nascent days and expand our social media activities and program extras soon. Today's episode was produced, written, and edited by Vincent Hostak. Our co-producer and research associate is Janice Pugh Waller. Our opening reading from Virgil's The Ionid was performed by Laurel Hostack jones We recommend Laurel and Derek Jones' podcast, The Midnight Myth, available at anchor.fm forward slash midnight myth. Our wonderful opening and closing musical themes were composed, performed, and recorded by John Orr Franklin. More of John's music and videos may be found at John or Franklinmusic.com. J-O-H-N-O-R-R-F-R-A-N-K-L-I-N music. His latest album at the time this was recorded is Love at the End of Time. We want to thank the extraordinary support from the African Community Center in Denver, Colorado, Hannah McMillan, program lead for We Made This, not only for her interview but her invaluable coordination of artisans, staff, and interpreter services. Our interpreter was Amil Bandora. Also, we owe a big shout out to Kate Weatherby, volunteer coordinator and our advocate at ACC, We're brand new and haven't determined how or if we want to set up donations to the podcast. So instead, we ask that you now consider making contributions to your local and regional refugee resettlement organizations who can always use your help, and especially now. For more information on the subject of today's podcast, visit acc-den.org. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to Crossings, the refugee experience in America.